Hello, everybody. It is I, the great Clement, as always, with my co-host. Hello, everyone. It's Caro again. Are you ready for another clobbering episode of C-Squared? And it feels like we haven't really met in a while um, because we've both been pretty busy with a lot of our lives lately. So apologies if there hasn't been an episode since, I believe, last year. There's just been a lot going on. (laughs) We're now in 2024. A new year is upon us. Woo! And uh, we were very busy in January because we went to a convention. We went to MAGFest. We did go to MAGFest. Um... My second time, Clint's first time, I went in 2020. Um, so this was like before COVID-19. I think this, that was the last con I did before COVID. And I just had a really great time. Um, it's a huge convention space. It's unlike any con that I've ever been to. Definitely a different beast from TMG. Um, but I had enough of a great time that I wanted to go again um, sometime later. But obviously COVID happened, so I could not do that. Damn COVID getting in the way again. (laughs) But yeah, um, MAGFest was quite interesting. I got to go to Washington for the first time ever. I got to see where all the politicians go. You got to see where all of our nation's fuck-ups happen. (laughs) Where all the bad decisions are. I was where the January 6th insurrection was. (laughs) Holy shit. I was right across from the train station. It was crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a part of history when everyone went insane. Yay! Woo who? <laughs> uh, 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 totally not terrified that it is another election year. So it's so funny because, like, I've been seeing people online say, like, oh, it's 2024. It's an election year. We're going to have the Chiefs versus the 49ers in the Super Bowl. By the way, go Chiefs. <laughs> um, and, you know, when was the last time that happened? Oh, right. 2020, when there was also an election between Trump and Biden and the Chiefs and the 49ers <laughs> won the Super Bowl. And, oh, shit, there was COVID. Oh, fuck. <laughs> oh, don't jinx it. If we get COVID, too, if we get COVID, too, it's entirely your fault, Caro. It is not my fault. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Don't you put that on me, Ricky Bobby. Don't you put that evil on me. <laughs> the point is, I was in Washington for MAGFest. We went to the, the Gaylord Center Hotel Convention, whatever the you want to call it. The Gaylord Convention Center and Resort. There you go. Which is always like a pain in the ass to get like hotel rooms for every year since MAGFest is such a popular con like they always release hotel blocks I want to say like August or September and it's always so hard to get a hotel in that resort so a lot of people actually either stay in one of the hotels surrounding it which is what uh, me and Clement did or they actually get a hotel room like in Virginia because um, that state is about 15 minutes away from Maryland yeah but um, from prior experience, um, I actually prefer to pay a little more to be on the resort because the last time I did MAGFest, I was staying in Alexandria. And that was kind of painful to like, it's about 15 to 20 minutes away. But if you're calling Ubers every single night, then that gets, you know, expensive. So I'd rather just like pay a little more for the convenience of staying on the mainland versus having to commute back and forth. 
And the thing that's really unique about MAGFest is that they have a lot of late night programming. So if you're staying away from the resort, then you have to plan out your day. And sometimes you're like, oh, well, it's like a 15 to 20 minute Uber ride back to the hotel. Unfortunately, I'm going to have to miss this panel or that panel, you know. So if you want the full experience of MAGFest, then staying at the at the resort or surrounding the resort is your best bet to get like everything that you need for it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Still, I really like that whole area. Like I was yeah. pleasantly surprised, pleasantly, pleasantly surprised because, you know, when we went to TMG in Philadelphia, like that whole surrounding area, we needed to drive around because there's just oh, yeah. too many lawn stretches of road, too many lawn distance to like anything good from TMG. And so I was kind of expecting that to be the same thing here. Yeah, and the thing with TMG is that they advertise themselves as a Philly con. And I've definitely mentioned this in, a, in the previous episode when we did talk about TMG. And no, it's not really a Philly con. It's like an hour away from the city. And there's only two hotels within walking distance of TMG. One of them is entirely reserved for guests and volunteers. So really, there's only one hotel within walking distance for like <laughs> um, attendees to stay at. And that's like, that's similar to the Gaylord where it's really hard to get a space there. Um, so Clement and I were actually like 10 minutes away from the con when we did TMG and we did have to Uber like back and forth. Um, though shout out to Stefan for taking us home that one night, saving us money. Absolutely. But yeah, with the Gaylord, there's like maybe 10 different hotels, 10 to 15. There's a lot. Um, there were definitely more hotels. They definitely constructed more um, than the last time I was there because the hotel that we ended up staying at wasn't around in 2020. And it's so funny because oh. if you look at Google Maps. Yeah. If you look at Google Maps, um, sometimes Google Earth will like timestamp different photos because they have the vehicle that like drives through and takes pictures. So for our hotel listing, it showed us a picture from like 2023. But then if you take a couple steps within that program, they took a picture from like 2020 and it's just an empty lot. <laughs> so our hotel is definitely like on the newer side. That's funny because like I live in a small town and because I guess Google's cars don't pass by that area a lot, like there are buildings that have not existed as they are for at least 15 years. Oh my 15 gosh. 15 years. <laughs> but when you Google that location, it is still as it was 15 years ago. <laughs> That's wild. One of my favorite video stores, the place I would rent movies and stuff from, uh, I, I would always go there when rentals were a thing. And when you go to that location on Google, it is still a video store. <laughs> even though it hasn't been a video store since like 2012. No. Going on Google's kind of funny because it's like, yeah, I get to explore my hometown and I get to see everything through a virtual really quick way. But it's also like out of time. And it's always like, this is not how it how it used to be some of these buildings burn down some of these buildings are just completely gone so it's like i've t i've stepped into a time machine thanks to google everything about this is just like not how it is anymore <laughs> maybe you should like take up the job of driving around and just take pictures with a google car could you look into <laughs> that could i do that <laughs> i mean i if google is willing to let me do that i guess i could try <laughs> How much does that pay? <laughs> I don't know. 
It's Google, so probably a lot. God. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I loved the area around the Gaylord because it was just like, it was so convenient. You know, it was nice having like a, a five to ten minute walk to the hotel. Like it was so yes. quick and convenient. Uh, even in January, the coldest it's ever going to be. And there was like, the, the, the I just love the, the seaside view, like the, the Ferris wheel in the background, which we didn't yeah. get to ride, unfortunately. No. But it's so gigantic and the view is incredible. And again, I'm not American. I'm Canadian. So like, I was taken aback at how big the fucking flag was in that area. <laughs> Because, like, we walk back from the convention to our hotel, and they've got the biggest fucking American flag you've ever seen. It's like, you know that scene in Spider-Man 3 where Spider-Man's going to take on Venom and Sandman, and he hops between buildings, and then at one point he poses right in front of the American flag? Yeah. <laughs> that flag must have been the size of, like, seven buildings. It was ridiculous. Yeah, it was a pretty big flag. It's always, like, it's always funny, like, seeing you react to American patriotism because, like, they kind of just put the American flag on everything here, even though, fun fact, a lot of the times you see American flags on patterns or clothes and stuff, it's technically unconstitutional. So... Oh, really? Yes, it is. Uh-oh. Because, theoretically, putting the American flag on, like, clothes or whatever is, like, um, you're, like, deifying it in some way um but patriotism ignores that so they're like whatever we're gonna just print it on everything <laughs> <laughs> still it does remind me of the conversations we've had about canada because it's like yeah. anytime you look at like canadian chains canadian restaurants like okay this isn't a canadian chain this isn't a canadian restaurant but mcdonald's we have mcdonald's in canada yeah. It's just, when you look at the golden arches in Canada, there's a maple leaf in the middle. There's a maple leaf on the golden arches. <laughs> and Giant Tiger has a maple leaf. Uh, like, this place has a maple leaf. Wendy's has a maple leaf. Wendy's has a maple leaf. Tim Hortons has a maple leaf. It's like, I never thought about Walmart that. Walmart has one. Like, I've lived here my whole life, so it's like, I've never thought about that. But then I'm looking around like, oh yeah, we do have maple leaves on everything. What the hell? <laughs> yeah, I think I was the one that pointed that out to you. I know. Because, like, the first time I came to Canada, I was like, damn, you have the maple leaf on everything. <laughs> <laughs> it's something I've never thought about. It's just like, I, for some reason, it was just it burned into my brain that, like, oh, of course the McDonald's Golden Arch has a maple leaf on it. Doesn't it in America? No, wait, that's a Canadian thing. Wait, whoa, no. <laughs> <laughs> what would you say... The whole hotel itself, like the Gaylord, like what was that like? Was it is it was it like what you expected or no, <laughs> not at all. That was probably the fanciest, the most fucking amazing hotel I've ever been in my life. That was yeah. Like I didn't stay there, but like just visiting the place was just like what the fuck. <laughs> yeah, it's a really nice building. Like you got that whole open area where like. There's a gigantic window and the little village, you know? Yeah. Like, this place is obviously for conventions, because, like, I'm just trying to imagine, like, on a week Wednesday or just, like, a week week where, like, there is no convention and there's nothing going on at this at this place. 
And just imagining how empty it must be during those times and thinking like, look at how much excess this is. Look how much there is with the gift shop and the cafeteria and the bar and the and the benches and, and the fountain and everything. And it's just like, this is so fucking gigantic compared to any other convention I've been to. And uh, it was like the, the friggin' pagoda, the gazebo. Yeah, the gazebo, <laughs> which is filled with cosplay photo shoots like every single like day of the con. Yeah. But luckily, we were able to um, just kind of explore the Gaylord the night before the con opened, and um, we were able to take some pictures in the gazebo. So that was nice. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's a, it's a pretty location, whether the daytime or the nighttime. Like, yes. even at night, when they have Agreed. all the, the, the string lights lit, lit up, it was just like, oh my god, this is such a almost romantic place. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, like with any convention, we were walking a lot, and... My legs and feet definitely got sore, and but we saw a lot of panels. We did. Um, it was a lot of fun. Um, I think my favorite panel that we went to um, was definitely the wrestling panel. So Mega Ran was supposed to be there, but I guess due to scheduling conflicts, um, he couldn't. Um, but he debuted like a new music video um, that was Royal Rumble inspired, and then there was like a really fun wrestling theme song tournament that was completely determined by like randomness and it was just really fun singing along with everyone else to different theme songs throughout the years and you could definitely tell which ones were the favorites of everyone and which ones people didn't know but it was still like a really fun time you definitely mastered the drew mcintyre song oh yes and you did get a recording of that (laughs) (laughs) i always say that drew mcintyre's um old theme song is is um better than his current one it's yeah, classic. I forgot he had that theme song, actually. Yeah. I, I'm so used to the bagpipes right now. I'm so used to, like, his current theme that I was like, oh, right, that was his song mm-hmm. once upon a time. Shit. He was the chosen one. I just remember we were singing along, and, like, that that's what you want a convention panel to be. It was just everyone knowing the in-jokes, everyone just, like, having fun. Like, when Cody Rhodes' song came on... <laughs> And we we were just like singing along to that, and then we get to like the the whoa part. <laughs> it was so loud. It was amazing. It was awesome. It was it was really great. Another one of my favorites was um there was a panel called Welcome to Hell. It was one of the late night Magfest panels, and it was just a screening of all of these random, weird internet videos (laughs) and that's like my sense of humor so i really loved going to that (laughs) it was eye-opening for me because i was completely unaware of tommy lee jones and all of the weird japanese commercials he's been a part of that was fucking crazy no he's huge in japan like he's always advertising the boss coffees (laughs) <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> I just love the idea of like stone-faced, super serious Tommy Lee Jones, who I know he was Two-Face in Batman, and I know that he was in Men in Black and stuff, but it's like, just him dealing, because like, I always think of like the story about him and Jim Carrey, where yeah. Jim Carrey has always been on like Howard Stern interviews and stuff, and he's always gone on record to say that like, when he filmed Batman Forever with Tommy Lee Jones... Tommy Lee apparently didn't like him very much because of his enthusiasm and his energy and his, what he calls his buffoonery. Like, Tommy Lee Jones (laughs) said to Jim Carrey, 
I cannot handle your buffoonery. (laughs) (laughs) So, like, the idea of a man who cannot handle Jim Carrey's buffoonery being in all of these fucking insane Japanese commercials where he's, like, surfing and he's a a warrior and, and, like, he's running through Tokyo. Like, I couldn't. It was crazy. I just was shocked. It was amazing. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, Japan gets, like, the most interesting celebrities from, like, the United States or just, like, the Western countries in general to advertise their products. Like, one of the things I liked about watching Lost in Translation was because they kind of parodied that with Bill Murray. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Where he's advertising, like, the beer. So, you know. For relaxing times, go Suntory times. (laughs) Oh, that movie's fantastic. But uh, it is. Yeah, it's just it was just showing like the wackiest of Japanese commercials and also just bizarre. Like if anyone remembers like early YouTube, the early 2000s Internet culture, if you remember like AMV hell, there was a lot of AMV hell type stuff in there, which was pretty damn hilarious. And the host, holy shit, was she fun. (laughs) <laughs> oh yeah, really fun post. <laughs> it's like it was 1:30 in the morning. She knew we were all just here for laughs and she was just like casually dropping the F bomb and <laughs> or under some sort of influence. We might have been drinking, might, you know. We might have been we might have gone to the bar before this. <laughs> <laughs> we might have been intoxicated when we went and saw this panel, so you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh yeah, that was definitely a lot of fun. Uh another thing we went to that was also incredible was the Sonic R speedrun karaoke. Yes, it was a speedrun of Sonic R. Um, but you know Sonic R. There are a lot of great songs in that soundtrack. So instead of just watching someone race laps and laps and laps of Sonic R, you sing along to the tracks and it's great. And that was <laughs> awesome. I had a good time with that. Because Sonic R soundtrack is amazing. <laughs> Sonic R has the best soundtrack of all Sonic of all Sonic. Oh, whoa, 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 yes. whoa, whoa, Yes. It is one of the best. I wouldn't say it is the best, but it is up there. Whoa, <laughs> whoa. Well, what would you say is the best Sonic soundtrack? Um, My top three is um Sonic CD, the Japanese soundtrack, as my favorite, followed by Sonic Adventure 1 and Sonic Heroes. Okay. Uh, it was also live streamed, and there was a part of me that wondered that, like, you know, I do show up near the end when the host started tur- turning the camera around to show the people, and I'm like, did anyone point me out? Did anyone w- mention me? And I actually went to the Twitch VOD. I actually went to the actual uh, recording. It's on both Twitch and YouTube, and uh, you can see me at the end, but no one made comment of it. No one made mention of it. But now that I'm mentioning it here in this podcast, I'm sure that will change. So <laughs> maybe throw a link in the description box. So I will. Can wonder I'll why. put a cool. link in the description of this video. Good call. Good call. Yes. I also want to um, specially shout out um, Caddy because he did two panels um, over at MAGFest that both me and Clement went to that were like absolutely fun and amazing. I hope he feels better. He unfortunately did get sick like at the end of the con, but... You did good, man. You did good. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I found it amusing that, like, the second one, which was late at night, like 1.30 in the morning or whatever, he was like, it's the Q&A after dark. Mm-hmm. 
And if you figured there would be a lot more like raunchy, more, you know, adult questions. And it really didn't start happening until like the very last 10 minutes of the whole Q&A. <laughs> and that's when he seemed to wake up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but oh well. <laughs> ah, well. Saw the Runaway Guys. That was pretty fantastic. Oh, yeah. They're throwing controller show. That was really fun. I like doing that. Um, the thing is, it's really popular. So we ended up lining up like two hours before um, that show. Yeah. But at and, least like, we were first in line. line. Yes, we were first in line. <laughs> we were very, very close to the doors. But uh, yeah, I was just really impressed with the whole structure, impressed with the whole setup, because I was just like, yeah, this is such a brilliant idea. Everyone comes in and they hand you like a ticket. They hand you like a number. And every now and then they would call out a number to be a contestant to perform on the game show, because like you're answering trivia questions, you're playing the video games, you're actually like competing to see how long, how, how big your streak can get so that... If you have the biggest streak of wins, you're going to get the big grand prize at the end. And uh, we didn't get called, unfortunately. (laughs) And the good thing about um, the number system that they have is that they print the con and the year on the ticket. So no one can, like, sneak in a ticket from, like, prior years and be like, hey, this is my number. (laughs) So I think that's, like, a really good vetting system. Imagine two people came up with the same number. (laughs) But yeah, I was very impressed with that panel. I thought that was a lot of fun. I was just like, wow, that's that's awesome. Yeah, I've always wanted, I've told Clement this, I've always wanted to host like a game show sort of like that, but with wrestling, like a wrestling sort of game show, just to show off like the wacky and ridiculous side of wrestling. I would be there. Aw, thank you. (laughs) And I'm not just saying that because I'm I'm so close, you know. (laughs) Yeah, it's not like I am holding you at gunpoint. <laughs> Someone help me! But yeah, along with panels, we also went to the the uh, the vendors, and there was the arcade room, and the console game room, and, uh, you know, we had too many conflicting things. We had too many things that uh, we had to do, so I couldn't participate in the Puzzle League tournament. Yeah. But you did play Puzzle League in the free play room. Yeah, I did play uh, Tetris Attack, and I did manage to beat the very hard difficulty without dying once, which you can confirm. I'm not lying. That actually happened. Yeah, you did. (laughs) And then I beat Mega Man X late at night, and I think I was the last person to ever play it when we were at MAGFest. Yeah, because um, we came back, like, the next day, and, like... It was still on the end screen where Sigma's like, I'll be back. And um, the way with um, the original Mega Man X is that the only way you can, like, start over is just by resetting the console. So there's no option to, like, go back from that screen to the main menu. So, yeah, I mean, you were definitely, like, the last one, I would say. (laughs) We we beat it at, like, one in the morning, and then the next day, no, it was still on Sigma. Nobody touched it. So Mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I think I was the last guy. Yeah. <laughs> I also I also set the first record for Donkey Kong, but then it was immediately trumped like in a number of hours. But still. Yeah. If you saw JSC on the arcade, that was me. <laughs> <laughs> we also played all the pinball machines. 
Oh, yeah. I haven't touched a pinball machine in so long, so that was kind of uh, nostalgic. Yeah. The only thing was, I was desperately hoping they had Terminator 2, and they did not have Terminator 2. They had everything. They had, like, Elvira, and they had, uh, like, freaking Godzilla, like the 1998 Godzilla movie. Oh, I forgot what this machine was called, but the coolest one that I played was, like, it was this hurricane weather-themed pinball machine, and, like, yeah. the further you got in that game... The wind started blowing in your face. Like, there was a little wind machine at the top panel of the of the pinball machine. And the wind fan goes off, and it's blowing in your face as if you're playing pinball, like you're in, like, some sort of windstorm. So I thought that was, like, really cool. I didn't know, like, pinball machines could do that. <laughs> yeah. Feels really, really advanced. Holy hell. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the fact that the arcade and, like, the console area were open, like, 24-7, I was just like, good lord. Yep. There are definitely people gaming in there at all times of the day. I mean, we went to the arcade at like two in the morning. There were still a ton of people there. So it's insane. It's insane. Mm-hmm. What did you think of the Colossus scream? <laughs> yeah, I'm now I'm now aware of this lore as well. <laughs> so I didn't know that like once upon a time at Magfest, I guess the someone was playing the X Men arcade game, and the audio was just so imbalanced so that whenever the character Colossus did his special, he goes, ah! And apparently it was just so crazy loud at MAGFest that it just sort of became a meme and a tradition to, uh, to, to constantly go and do the Colossus scream whenever you're there. So, like, we would just be walking someplace, going up the escalator, and all of a sudden, ah! <laughs> That's amazing. I own yeah. X-Men. I own it on my Xbox 360. So now anytime I replay that game, I might just have to play as Colossus just so I can relive the MAGFest memories. Uh, 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 uh. Um, we also bought a lot of good things from the Artist Alley and Vendor Space. Um, I got some clothes. I also have Ralsei from Delta Rune. Thank you, Clement. No problem, no problem. Getting me the goodest person. <laughs> also, we, we we gotta mention that, like, we did cosplay one of yes, those Yes, we did! We did cosplay. I was Scott Pilgrim. And I was Ramona Flowers, but specifically green-haired Ramona. Because um, I did... I did pink-haired last time I cosplayed as her, which was forever ago, so I wanted to do green-haired this time. And I thought that came out, like, pretty well. Oh yeah, you were amazing. We looked so cute. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you were incredible. <laughs> and of course, you know, I want to thank everyone who came up to us during that week. You know, some of them might be listening to this podcast right now because they have uh, talked about how much that podcast means to them. And, you know, it's always kind of heartwarming to hear something like that because it's like, this video will not get as many views as my Final Fantasy video. It's not going to get as many views as my Bad Endings in Games video. You know, sometimes C-squared only gets, like, 4,000, 7,000 views, and it makes you wonder, like, does anyone actually care that we're doing this? And, you know, so when you get people coming up to you and saying how much they love your podcast and how much they enjoy listening to it, and, like, you guys are so charismatic, you're such a great pair, and, ah, oh, you're underrated, everyone should be watching C-squared, you know, that that's the kind of thing that, make, that makes me want to keep doing it till, like, I'm old and gray, you know? Yeah, like, absolutely. I love that shit. Mm -hmm. 
So I want to thank everyone who came up to us for for autographs or for photos or anything, because, you know, I'm still reconciling with the fact that people are entertained by me and people find me uh, awesome. <laughs> it it warms my heart, too, because, like, um, I've been in this space for a while and I'm still trying to carve out what I want to do. Um, and it just means a lot to me that all of you think that I'm enjoyable to listen to because um, I know I had doubts when I was in high school and growing up that like no one would care about what I think about nerdy things or oh maybe you like Sonic a little too much or maybe you should shut up about wrestling and the fact that y'all are like I don't watch wrestling at all or I don't know anything about wrestling but the way you talk about it makes it seem like the coolest thing ever how can I start watching means so much to me. And it's just awesome that you listen to us and want to hear about us talk these things. So thank you so much. It's very, again, heartwarming for me. It, it means the world to me. And I just never thought that like, I would even have this kind of like, I don't know, kind of like, I never had this kind of voice in a community, so thank you, thank you again. Absolutely, absolutely. So yeah, Magfest was a total blast. I had a lot of fun. It was uh, the only thing I felt was lacking in comparison to TMG was just I wish there was more of our content creator friends there. Yeah, like there were there were a good number, but like it wasn't as. I guess populated as TMG. Like it was great w running into Wayne is boss. I Wayne. Uh, it's hey, great Wayne. running into. <laughs> it's great running into Ant Dude and Fushi and Gilly the Kid, and it was great running into you know. We saw a caddy. <laughs> yeah, we saw a caddy. We tried we, to we connect to caddy a few times, but... unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, we tried to connect to caddy a few times. Unfortunately, when we were gonna meet up Sunday, he got sick. But shoutouts to Kent, Caddy, Ant Dude, Fushi, Gilly, Manda. Manda was also there. Hey, Manda. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, Matt Manheimer. Um, does a oh, lot yeah. of Sega stuff. We ran into yeah. him on the last day, so shouting him out as well. Ultima, who has been a friend of mine for a really long time, and we ran into him. Like there was just a lot of people, and Sam, who's a personal friend of mine. Um, we met at TMG forever ago. Um, if I'm forgetting names, I'm sorry, but it's just nice going to these cons and seeing friends, you know. Absolutely. Absolutely. Also, some call me Johnny was there for like a brief second, but you know. He was, yes. Um, he went to the Sonic Symphony in DC, but he had time to kind of stop by. So him, Elliot, and Nora, hello. Um, they stopped by for a bit to talk. But, you know, who cares about him? I mean, uh, I think we talk, we talk about that guy enough. How big does his ego need to be? Jeez. Damn. <laughs> Hosting a WrestleMania watch party. Shake my head. <laughs> he, he won't watch. He's not watching this podcast. He'll never know. No. <laughs> just show up and he's like, what the fuck did you say about me? <laughs> Would you want to do MAGFest again in the future? Not necessarily next year, but um, in the future. Absolutely. I think I'd be down for that, you know? Like, that convention center was just incredible, and that whole surrounding area was just very fun to walk around in, and yeah, absolutely. I thought that was a, a very 
interesting experience and it was fun meeting a whole bunch of people like we got to see silva gunner and actually siva gunner i think is Siva-gunner. how you're supposed to pronounce it mm-hmm. because apparently and this shocked me this week i didn't know this like the l is not an l it's an i it's a capital i <laughs> <laughs> what i've broken all of your brains i've broken everyone who's watching this going what no he's silva gunner it's no? siva gunner not silva gunner y'all it's siva gunner it's siva gunner <laughs> my whole world is rocked upside down nothing makes sense anymore yeah but you know it was a lot of fun and i definitely got a lot of games and merchandise and good memories good photos it's it was a blast it was a blast and i would absolutely do it again for sure now what other cons would you want to go to or consider oh major? god because i think we should do MomoCon one of these years Momocon? Momocon. Okay. Um, I know PAX exists. I don't know how good PAX is. I don't know if people have good things to say about PAX, but mm-hmm. that sounds like a fun one. I don't know. We'll do a little bucket list. We'll just scratch them yes. all, scratch them off one by one. Um, I definitely want to do Fan Expo. You've done Fan Expo, but I'm very interested in it. Okay. Yeah, they always have a lot of great, like, celebrity guests and celebrity yeah. panels, like... You know, I, it's so strange to be like walking around and oh shit, there's Mads Mickelson walking by me. <laughs> <laughs> the guy from Death Stranding just was right next to me. Oh my god. <laughs> and I'm and I mean, we're doing WrestleCon in April when Mania comes to town because they have like a lot of guests that I might want to get signatures for. Um, yeah. So that's a thing happening. And then um, we've also talked about doing like one of the Sega Sonic conventions at some point oh yeah oh yeah because yeah. um it's formerly called psychosonic fan jam but i believe and correct me if i'm wrong comment section they merged with sonic expo so now it's like all one event but when i went several years ago it was a really fun time and i loved like meeting people and talking about sonic and Sega stuff so we'll have to put that on our bucket list too yeah Plus, I just want to see all the behind-the-scenes content creator parties where everyone's drunk and having sex and stuff. That'd be amazing. <laughs> I mean, apparently people were... Apparently it's MAGFest legend that people have sex in the staircases at the Gaylord. But I don't want to know that. What? So. Yeah, you didn't know? Yeah, that's a thing. The staircase? The staircase. Uh, apparently. It's just hearsay. Well, we'll have to confirm it next time. Um, I don't think I would want to confirm that. Look, I just, I, you know, if I see someone humping on the stairs, we'll immediately turn back and go the way we came. But I'm just, I have to know. I have to know. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. But yeah, MAGFest was fun. So another fun thing that I did recently, um, actually the weekend after MAGFest was go to the Royal Rumble in Tampa. Oh, yes. That was an excellent time. I loved going. I've never been to a Royal Rumble before. Um, It was in Atlanta in 2010, but I was unfortunately a little too young to like go to wrestling events at the time and my parents didn't let me go. They actually let me go to a SmackDown like several months later as my first event so i guess i convinced them enough but at the time they were like no not taking you whatever um so i had the chance to go 
this year because it was in a city that one of my wrestling friends um, was living in. And we all stayed at his place, saved money on hotels, and then we kind of just drove to St. Petersburg for the Rumble. It was awesome. Amazing, amazing experience. Um, we saw Bailey win the Women's Royal Rumble, which was my pick, and we saw Cody Rhodes win the Men's Royal Rumble, and he is the second back to... This is the second time he's won the Royal Rumble, and he is the first back-to-back -back winner of the Rumble since Stone Cold Steve Austin in 1998, which is quite a stat to have, and I will be getting into that later. But otherwise, it was a really good time. Um, we got to salute the Tribal Chief. We lost our shit dancing to Jey Uso's theme. Um, <laughs> yeah. 10 out of 10 would recommend going to a Royal Rumble. Like, if you're a wrestling fan, and if you have the means to go to a Royal Rumble, go. It's really nice. Um, being in the arena with everyone else counting down and hearing the buzzer. Ah, ah, good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah, that's a bucket list thing for me, definitely. Mm -hmm. So as fun as the Royal Rumble was, unfortunately, um, I was boarding my flight to Tampa on Thursday, like the Thursday before the Rumble. And unfortunately, the news broke that Vince McMahon was being sued um, for allegations of sexual harassment, sexual assault, and just abusing a lot of his powers within the WWE. And it's a really, really angering case, because Vince has been... <sighs> Vince is a guy, and he's... <laughs> he has a com He has a very, very disgusting, nasty legacy behind him. Oh, so yeah. a lot of these allegations... He's done in the past, but this is really, really recent. He's like 76. He's in his 70s at this point. And he was mentally, psychologically, and sexually abusing an employee that was in the WWE. And there was a whole case that was filed. There's like a 67-page like lawsuit about this. And it's just a lot of graphic details that are very uncomfortable. Um, it's another victim. And it's just a really horrible situation all around. Yeah, I, I was surprised by the date. Like, I figured, like, maybe a lot of this stuff was happening in the 2000s and 2010s, and I'm sure it was. But, mm -hmm. like, hearing that he was still doing this stuff in the 2020s at his age, I was just like, how in the fuck are you still this awful old, like, this awful person at your physical capacity in your old age? Like, that's just like, fucking Christ, man. It's disgusting. It's like Vince McMahon's always had this legacy around him because it's like, you know, you watch Dark Side of the Ring and it feels like every time there's a story about something in WWE, Vince comes up at some point. Like Vince being just a shitty guy who's always looking out for money, always trying to protect abusers and always trying to protect people who don't deserve the protection. You know, he's had his scandals regarding like steroids and all this other stuff. and. You've seen him in interviews in the 90s and the way he'd push back and just be, like, trying to be all controversial. Like, the fact that he started up the XFL for a second time purely as an insult to the people who wouldn't kneel for the flag. Like, in our federation, you're gonna kneel for the flag. You know, like, fuck off. <laughs> First of all, I resent your tone <laughs> regarding um, the safety Measures that were not in place when Owen Hart, a wrestler, died falling 50 feet oh, from yeah. the air. 
and which yeah. the only thing that was holding him was a like very, very, very small clamp. Like, if you go online and look up how Owen Hart passed away, you'll find those pictures of the clamp that was used. And you're like, how has this guy not been held accountable or arrested yet? Like, what the, what the fuck? And for those who don't know, like, yeah, this is a story where Owen Hart, a, a wrestler, brother of Bret Hart, died in mm-hmm. the ring mm-hmm. of a of a pay-per-view show that was televised mm-hmm. now his death was not televised they weren't they were cutting to an advertisement or a promo when this was happening but he was on the top of the stadium because his character the blue blazer would like fly in via uh like a bungee cord sort of like sting did in wcw yeah and the cord snapped and he fell on the turnbuckle and it was fatal and he died mm-hmm. And we literally had to watch as JR and, and Jerry Lawler, the announcers, had to announce on the pay-per-view that, like, like bad, unfortunate news, Owen Hart has died tonight and after what's his even tragic more, fall. And what's even more fucked up about that situation was Vince, the heartless guy, didn't even give JR the time to, like, take in the news. Like, he was literally in his headset being like, okay, JR, you're gonna announce to the audience that Owen Hart has passed away and he died. You're live in 10, 9, 8. Yeah. Like, what the fuck? Like, what? No. What are you doing? Even just the fact that, like, they didn't stop the show. No. Like, a man just no. died in their ring and they're just like, well, no, show's gotta go on. Go on, Austin Undertaker. It's like, fuck, man. Like, what the fuck? Like, here's a, a really sad moment like after that moment where jeff jarrett's doing a promo and you can tell how fucking devastated he looks and he's just like we're pulling for you owen because they didn't know he died yet no and i was just like fuck man and because this is 1999 and there's like there wasn't really like a lot of um technology to the scale that there is today um a lot of people didn't even find out that owen died until they got home or watched the news and looked it up online yeah no one in the arena knew that he passed away. The point of this, the whole tangent was just like, Vince McMahon has a history of being such a sleazy guy. And I don't mean in character. Like, obviously he was Mr. McMahon and he was a, a villainous heel. And I'll admit, an entertaining heel. There's been a lot of promos he's done that I've found pretty hilarious. I do think he has a great sense of comedic timing. I do think that there is something very bizarre about his character that is fascinating. But at some point... You have to, like, distance yourself from that and just acknowledge that, like, Vince McMahon, the human being, is pretty awful, you know? Yeah, and a lot of the reason why he's not been held too accountable from, like, different media sources and even in the courtroom is because, unfortunately, there is such a big disconnect between um the mainstream space and wrestling that people were like, oh, well, it's just the carny, bizarre character. It's Vince McMahon. Of course it's him. Like, we don't understand much about wrestling, so it's just a character thing. We'll get away with it. Um, But with this new lawsuit and all the um, sexual um, assault allegations that are coming out, um, yeah, these, these worlds might be merging. Um, There's been a lot more mainstream coverage of this with people that actually know about wrestling now and with all the details coming out he actually might might have run himself into a corner this time i'm hoping this time it actually feels like it's finally done like it's finally Mm -hmm. like his career is over his reputation 
I mean, knock on wood, but I it feels like from what I've been seeing, like WWE is trying to scrub his existence a little bit. Like they're trying to distance themselves from Vince. Uh, it's gotten more mainstream attention. Um, and like also people are starting to like turn on him. Like there are a lot of people yeah. involved in this story. You know, it's yes. not just Vince McMahon. It's a, no. it's a culture problem. Yes. It's a culture of like he got women to do things for other wrestlers and other people mm-hmm. behind the scenes. And I, I heard recently like John Laurinaitis came out with a, with a statement saying that like, Oh, he's as much of a victim as, as anyone else. And I don't, <laughs> that's... they're all trying to get themselves out of those. They're not going to get away with it. <laughs> I know. I know. And you know, it's one of those things that you wonder like, Oh God, what other names are going to come out? What other personalities are going to be exposed as being a part of this culture and being a part of this fucked up thing that was going on backstage? And it's just like, oh. I mean, because of the wording of the in the lawsuit that specifically said, like, a former champion and former UFC fighter, um, it's pretty much been assumed that Brock Lesnar is also involved in this um, lawsuit. Um, yeah. WWE Apparently he is was actually... removed from the WW2K game. Yep, he was moved he was removed from 2K. He has all of his merch discounted on WWE shop because they're trying to get rid of it. Jeez. It is not it's not good. It's sad to see because despite the women's division in WWE being like such a vast improvement compared to what we saw in the Attitude Era and even like in the early to mid 2000s, there is still a systemic problem in place where women are still being abused and being manipulated into uncomfortable power dynamics in wrestling yeah it's really sad i mean we're we're just coming out with more stories as it happens because it's like even tori wilson just did a little interview lately that's like her commenting on how she really hated being in the brawn panty matches and stuff like that and how they would genuinely make her cry about the the condition she was in. And it's like, fuck, (laughs) you know, it's one of those things like a lot of attitude era, young people who just think like, fucking, this was when wrestling was the best, you know, (laughs) cutting to like people getting busted open, bleeding all over the place and falling off of these giant cages. And like Mick Foley, I'm amazed Mick Foley's alive. And still oh, in a yeah. kind of relatively healthy condition. Like, the fact that Mick Foley's not in a wheelchair, he's articulate and stuff. The fact that he is still in the greatest shape he can be at this point, like, amazing to me. It's a fucking miracle. <laughs> it's a miracle. It's genuinely a miracle. And it's just like, you know, there are things about the Attitude Era and the things about the Ruthless Aggression Era that, like, I do have fondness for because I do I did grow up with it and I'm nostalgic for it. But there are things about it that's like, yeah, but not everyone behind the scenes was super happy about things. And God, did they really have to go that far? And oh, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. I would even make an argument and say that the pe- the way that they treated women in the Ruthless Aggression Era, which again was the early to mid 2000s, was worse than the Attitude Era. Yeah, I'd agree. Because they agree. were like, oh, I guess we're losing our viewership and we're not peaking as much as we did in the late 90s. We're just going to bump up all of the bikini matches and all the bra and panties matches up the ass and hopefully <laughs> we'll get people to watch. Like, there is a 
There is a Girls Gone Wild WWE crossover pay-per-view that they only did once. It was lost media for years until it was unearthed, like, maybe a couple years ago. And it was such a failed attempt at, like, what they were trying to do with women at the time. And it was just really, really bad. Yeah. You can't even imagine any of that stuff happening to, like, Bailey or Sasha Banks, god. or oh my god. Becky Lynch, or anyone who's in the <gasps> roster today. Like, I couldn't fucking imagine, you know? Mm-hmm. And, like, I just want to clarify and say that there's nothing wrong with, like, as, as a woman. Like, there's nothing wrong um, empowering your femininity, empowering your sexuality. Like, really just taking ownership over who you are but it becomes an issue when um something that you don't want to do or something or an image that you don't want to like project is being forced upon you by someone else who has a higher power dynamic yeah and that's largely the issue another thing i I, another thing that's like awful about mcmahon is like there would be storylines that he would come up with where it's like Oh, I'm gonna have my wife be comatose and in a wheelchair, and I'm gonna oh, no. and I'm gonna make out with Trish Stratus in front of her. So like Trish Stratus has as a record, you know, it's on tape, it's on footage. It, it was a storyline. She has made out with Vince McMahon as part of the storyline of wrestling, and I can't imagine she enjoyed that. I can't imagine she liked that pitch. Like, and I isn't fucking... that like? Isn't that like one of the first things she did in WWE? Yeah, it was like it was she was new at around the time. She came around 2000. Yeah, it was pretty early. Yeah, like mm-hmm. she was managing TNA, Test and Albert. Before mm-hmm. that's <laughs> she was managing Test and Albert when she first showed up, mm-hmm. and then she became involved with the whole McMahon storyline. And yeah, yeah, like there's you know it's funny that that gif that gif of McMahon like him being like intrigued and then. Oh, and then, oh, and then he's like, oh, and then he Y'all falls over in the chair. Y'all know where that's from? Y'all know the context for that? Yeah. Tell him. <laughs> the context is that Stacy Keebler is stripping in front of him on a table. So he's fucking losing his shit over Stacy Keebler taking her clothes off, who, by the way, has dated George Clooney. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm just like, you know, th- it's all fun and games laughing about the memes and the character he played, but my god, there's there's a lot of genuine fucked up shit on screen that he did that's just like, ugh. Knowing who he is, knowing the history this guy has and the awful, awful things he's done besides the sexual stuff, you know this is not in good faith. No. You know this is there's a dark, un... There's a bad something about this, you know, the fact that he got all of his these female wrestlers to be put in compromising situations in front of him. But it's as a character because he's big, bad Mr. McMahon. Sure, but it's still happening. You're still doing it. You're still actually doing it. It's weird. And again, that's been the problem for many years because a lot of wrestling fans have just been like, oh, McMahon, he's just being McMahon. But when you read the lawsuit and reading like what exactly he did to this employee you then realize oh this reminds me of a lot of the stuff i've seen on tv oh oh no oh, yeah no. so it's like it's just hard because it's like you know i as a watcher of the attitude era of course i'm always gonna remember austin versus mcmahon that storyline where austin rebelled against the authority and 
when McMahon was the biggest bad guy ever, and I'm always going to have fond memories of watching Austin beat him in the hospital or jump off the Zamboni and beat McMahon's face in, and I'm always going to have that. But I'll never be able to detach myself from the fact knowing that, like, but behind the scenes, McMahon is a genuinely awful person. And this Absolute is a genuinely monster. terrible human being. And I was entertained by his antics when I was younger and I didn't know any better, but it's hard to reconcile, you know? <laughs> yeah. But again, it's like, how could you have known when you were a kid that, like, he was a piece of shit? Like, no, of course. A lot of the on screen antics you saw was weird, but, like, you probably weren't online or very versed in, like, enough wrestling knowledge to know that, like, oh, well, actually, behind the scenes, he's this horrible person and this horrible, like, human being. And I just feel bad for the talent that are in WWE, because it's not their fault that McMahon is a horrible person. Like, I see people, like, blaming the talent for this. Like, Becky Lynch or Sami Zayn or Kevin Owens or Cody Rhodes, they had nothing to do with Vince. Yeah. It's just really horrible, because, like... It puts the talent in an uncomfortable position where, like, I'm sure, like, when Vince was in charge behind the scenes that they were given uncomfortable storylines or asked to do things that they didn't want to do. And so the talents are, like, victims, too, because it's just something that's been going on for years and they just want, they just want to go out there and wrestle and have fun. They want to entertain the crowd. Yeah. But with Vince in the way, it just makes it harder to, like, do that kind of stuff. I mean, at least we can take solace in the fact that he's no longer part of the WWE in any creative kind of capacity. I, I don't know, but... <laughs> but that being said, this whole scandal, you know, as a segue, it's kind of ruined the creative element a little bit. Yeah, so... Hey y'all, it's Caro here, and you know, the funny thing about recording C-Squared episodes is that since they're time capsules of themselves, things can get out of date pretty quickly, and um, the WrestleMania press conference ended half an hour ago as I've recorded this, and the episode is pretty much almost done being edited by Clement, but Cody vs. Roman is back on y'all, people complained. We shouted, we complained enough, we wanted Cody, we got him at WrestleMania, so everyone's really happy right now, and I'm happy, but for the sake of historical relevance and context, we are leaving that segment of The Rock and Cody up for y'all. It was recorded a couple days after the Friday Night Smackdown episode, I wanted to stay intact for historical relevancy and to see how fans felt in the days leading after that segment, but before they retconned everything at this press conference. So, yes, enjoy this outdated discussion, but it's still interesting to hear. Um, yes, I am happy. Go, Cody. Finish the story. Let's go. Enjoy the conversation, y'all. Obviously, a lot of mainstream news outlets have picked up the McMahon story, and obviously it's bad press for the WWE because it's WrestleMania season. WrestleMania season always kicks off at the Royal Rumble and then it ends at WrestleMania. So I guess TKO, which is the company that owns WWE now, was like, oh, well, there's the, there's all this negative press right now with the lawsuit and the assault allegations. Um, How do we fix this? Oh, I know. Remember in the 90s when there was a wrestler known as The Rock? 
let's put him in WrestleMania and give everyone a reason to cheer for The Rock and forget about everything that's happening with Vince McMahon. Where do we put him on the card? Well, he can't necessarily be in the middle of the card because he's a huge star. <gasps> Wait a minute, you know what? He's related to our current champion, Roman Reigns. What if we put him in a WrestleMania match with him and overwrite any sort of story that Roman Reigns has going on right now, including a two-year-long story that has been built up with lots of story development and character arcs? We're gonna throw that all away for The Rock. That'll get people to forget about Vince. And that <sighs> did not happen. <laughs> Yeah, this is relatively new. This just happened like two days ago. Two but, days ago. Uh, mm -hmm. Good God. Yeah. <laughs> when you win a Royal Rumble match, you are guaranteed a title match with the champion of your choosing at WrestleMania. But with Cody, he has been in a years-long story where when he debuted in WWE again after spending years outside the company, the first promo he cut after he came back was, Hey, my father was a wrestler a long time ago, and even though he's passed away, I want to carry that legacy, and I want to, like, be my own star and honor him. And the only way to do that is to win the title my father never won, which is the WWE Unified Universal Championship. Yeah. And that is going to be my story. Roman Reigns has been the champion of this particular title since August of 2020. Record long reign in the, like, at least in the last 10 or 20 or 30 years even. Um, so he's held this title since the COVID years. And that's the title that Cody wants. And Cody got a chance to face Roman last year at WrestleMania. Um, unfortunately, he lost that match. And it was really sad. No one was expecting it. Everyone wanted Cody to win. But Roman ended up retaining that title. So Cody wins the Rumble for the second year in a row, which again, huge stat. First back-to-back -back winner since Stone Cold Steve Austin. So obviously, um, you know, he pointed to Roman Reigns at the end of that match when he won last week. And so you're like, sure, okay, awesome. They're going to do Cody versus Roman Reigns too. He's going to win this title. He's going to finish his story. <laughs> and then I don't know if that's going to happen because The Rock kind of just swindled his way back into WWE a couple days ago and took his spot. Yeah, it it was also like the way that this all happened. Because mm -hmm. it's like, okay, you know, it's one thing if Cody got screwed out of the situation or Roman won't let him do it or Roman refuses to... Well, I can't refuse. It's Royal Rumble. Okay, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> <laughs> He won the Royal Rumble. He's, he's owed anything he wants. But the point is, he comes out and he's just like, also, this, this week's been kind of like an interesting discussion about Seth Rollins' championship because he's the champion of Raw and he's kind of like the second in command in terms of like hierarchy and status because it's like, you know, he made that belt because Roman never lost his and he wanted like a champion's champion belt for the people who want to compete for real and not have to constantly be cheated out of it by Roman because he always has the bloodline helping him out. Mm -hmm. And he comments, he tried to like win over Cody on Monday being like, no, this is the real belt. The, the one that Roman has, he's, it's not important anymore. It's not worth it anymore. 
And even on Friday, Roman responded being like, wait a minute. So all the people competing for my belt are now competing for the secondary belts. All the people I've beaten <laughs> are competing for the secondary belt. You okay. <laughs> yeah. And even Cody, when he first starts talking to Roman, he's like, that is not a Hollywood belt. That is not uh, uh whatever belt that is the best prize in this industry that is the prestigious thing that is the belt i want he says this mm-hmm yep and then he goes i'm going to finish the story but not at wrestlemania <laughs> and you're like what <laughs> what and The Rock basically, like, comes in the ring, he gives Cody a hug, but you can tell on Cody's face that he's not necessarily happy with what's going on. <laughs> and, like, the camera pans to him as he's walking away from the ring, and you he still has that expression on his face. And The Rock and Roman stare down at each other as SmackDown ends. And a lot of people were very disappointed. A lot of people were, quite frankly, pissed off as they should be. I think this is, like, the most disliked video on YouTube on their yep. WWE page. As of this recording, it has over 500,000 dislikes on YouTube. God damn. Mm-hmm. Like, nobody's happy about this. Nobody gets the booking behind this one. Everyone's just like, Wh why? <laughs> it doesn't make sense. Like, you are not going to have them step aside and be like, never mind, I give up. Here you go. <laughs> Could you imagine in, in like 1998, Stone Cold Steve Austin's like in the ring with Shawn Michaels and Stone Cold's like, yeah, you know what? Uh, I, I don't, I don't want this. I don't want this match. Uh, uh, uh. It'd be like Ken Shamrock going to Stone Cold and being like, the world title that Shawn Michaels has, it's nowhere near as prestigious as this belt. You should yeah. challenge me because we're going to have a real fight. We're going to have a real wrestler's battle. And then Austin goes, you know what? Shamrock's right. I'm going for the Intercontinental title. <laughs> He's right. I'm going to go for that. <laughs> In the same promo, he literally says, this is the belt he wants. This is the the belt of WWE. And it's like, well, well you won the Rumble. He can't refuse you. It's yours. It's your, your match anyway. Yeah. You can do it. You said you wanted to do it in so many promos before this. It's a story that people have been invested in for years, and they have every right to be upset about this because it is a long-term thing that WWE has hinted in the past. And they're yeah. just not going to do it. <laughs> it's so not great for The Rock either. No. Like, the Rock, uh, apparently this, this might have been his idea. Like, this might have been, like... He wanted to go against Roman and he's pushing for this. Yes, and stuff. this was his idea. There were a lot of internal reports that came out the day after where they were like, yeah, this was totally The Rock's decision. He's on the TKO board now. A lot of executives backed him up on this. And he was even pushing to win the match against Roman. Like that was a thing. <laughs> well, he was not know... only pushing this match at Mania, he wanted to be the one to beat Roman. <laughs> How much did Black Adam like mess you up? <laughs> <laughs> was black adams uh underperformance really that devastating rock what happened here well first of all it was a really bad movie <laughs> well sure <laughs> i mean I, i'll i haven't seen it i never wanted to see it don't so. watch it no it's a waste of <laughs> waste of two hours roman reigns versus the rock has been a rumor for years 
Like, I can remember as far back as 2020, that being a proposed main event. And every single time they've approached The Rock about this, he's like, nah, I'm good. I don't think I can do it this year. No, all of a sudden, now, now's a good time? <laughs> when Cody Rhodes is gaining momentum? Now? You want to do the match now? And again, I'm not against... I'm not against The Rock versus Roman happening. People are right. It's a big match. It's a dream match. Like, it's very generational. But they could easily do this match at SummerSlam or Survivor Series or, God forbid, um, might want to wash my mouth with soap after this in one of the Saudi Arabia shows. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. For sure. Yeah. And, you know, it's just interesting watching The Rock's celebrity, The the Rock's popularity start to dwindle more and more. Because this isn't like a... I don't think it's just started with this thing. I think it's been like... No. Black Adam didn't do very good. And the interviews he would give about how he wanted Black Adam to be perceived was like, eh, okay, Rock. And then, like, I remember seeing him at the Summer Game Fest, like... It was like one of the Jeff Keighley kind of gaming things. And they invited The Rock to talk... And he had, like, a weirdest promo. Like, he had the weirdest, like, interview or, like, advertisement. Like, he was shilling for some kind of energy drink or something. Yeah. And it was just, like, kind of bizarre. And, like, there's something about The Rock's popularity where now we're seeing John Cena take off in movies. And John Cena's awesome in movies. You know, Peacemaker's, like, the greatest thing. The way he Mm -hmm. responds to, like, events, like, real cultural events is there's so much like nuance and so much thought put into everything he says and he seems like such an awesome guy like batista turned out to be an amazing actor batista's done so many like great dramas and so many things besides guardians of the galaxy they're like so respectable mm-hmm. and the rock is still in these cookie cutter hollywood movies where he always has to come out on top and he always has to be this macho blockbuster hero and he gives weird interviews and all this stuff. And now you've got this moment where he's hijacked wrestling so that he can have a title match at WrestleMania. So that he could be in the main event at WrestleMania. And it's like, Rock, what are you doing? <laughs> Here's my question. Do you think that it's possible to salvage this? Do you think, not in terms of like, make Rock and Roman a great match. I mean, in terms of like, do you see any opportunity, any possibility that they're going to see their backlash to this and be like, okay, maybe Rock will change his mind. Maybe he'll convince Cody to go after Roman. Maybe Roman will egg Cody on to challenge him because he doesn't want to challenge the Rock. Like, I don't know. Is, is there any scenario where they go, sure, Cody giving this to the Rock was made him look really dumb and made him look yes. really stupid? Yes. They're- but like... Is there a way we can fix this? Yes. Yes, there is. They have to do it next this upcoming week, but yes, they can <laughs> salvage it. Um, so CM Punk actually had a similar thing happen to him a year ago that still pisses me off, where he was the WWE champion. He was champion for over a year. Um, he had a Royal Rumble match against The Rock, and The Rock took his title and his main event slot. Yeah. Like, CM Punk ended up facing The Undertaker that year. Best match of the night, still a good match, but it wasn't the main event of WrestleMania. I could see a scenario where Cody's in the ring and he's kind of talking about, like, whatever, his dissatisfaction with, like, not being in the match against Roman or talking about Seth Rollins and being so assured of the fact that he's facing Seth Rollins at Mania. Then CM Punk comes out and he's like, 
man, what are you doing? This isn't you. This isn't how I know you. Are you really gonna let The Rock do to you what he did to me? You gotta stand up against this. That is your match. That is your shot. You are a back-to-back -back winner of the Rumble, and you need to stand up and face Rowan because you're the one that deserves it. And I am not going to see you lose that slot because it reminds me of what happened when I was champion. Yeah. That would be ideal. I mean, hopefully, you know, we're all overreacting and maybe that was the plan. Maybe the CM Punk storyline is like your headcanon. Maybe that is what's going to happen. That would be amazing. I hope to God that we can say like two I weeks from so. now that, okay, it's back on. Two weeks from now, we we, we definitely going to be Cody and Roman. But, uh, man, <laughs> if not... Well, Rock, I hope you enjoy all the booze you're going to get at that main event, because it's going to be a loud main event. It's going to be like Brock and Roman all over again. Holy shit. We were happy with doing just SmackDown in the Hall of Fame and then going to WrestleCon and catching up with friends that are in the area for WrestleMania. So, like, if it is Roman Rock, cool, best of luck, but I will not be at the link for that. Yeah. Which is a shame. I think The Rock just needs to, like, be in better movies and, like, I don't know. His typecast has unfortunately been turning off a lot of people. Why can't he just be like Ryan Gosling, who's in, like, all these different roles and clearly <laughs> has a personality? Yeah, really. One of my favorite movies that Ryan Gosling has ever been in is Barbie, which is what Clement finally saw for the first time. <laughs> what a segue. What yes. an amazing segue. <laughs> But yeah, I finally saw Barbie when we came back from MAGFest, and that was definitely not what I was expecting. Because, <laughs> <laughs> like, I think you were saying before that in the previews for this movie, like, it's just going to be like Barbie and Ken, but in the real world. Wow. Yeah, like Car Barbie and Ken in the real world having to adjust and realize that the, the world is not as... Uh, cookie cutter clean as they thought it was going to be and i'm sure there'd be a lot of jokes about that and stuff but what i didn't realize that like the movie was going to start off with barbie facing existentialism about her death <laughs> <laughs> do you guys ever think about death and stuff <laughs> it's like oh okay and yeah. then the whole movie becomes a gigantic commentary on patriarchy and women's roles and what makes a strong woman and stuff like that, you know, mm -hmm. like uh, it, it was, it was interesting how the character of Barbie knew she was a toy and she knew that she was in a toy world and she knew that they, they solved feminism for the human world. Like that's how she thinks <laughs> she, she solved it. You know, like we've empowered girls all over the world. We fixed the world. We're the greatest. And then she goes into the real world and finds that like, Nah, there's still sexism, and men still get a lot of positions that women don't get. <laughs> <laughs> there's one joke she makes where she's like, look, it's the Supreme Court, and it's a billboard of, like, Miss America contestants <laughs> that are being sexualized, <laughs> and I'm like, oh no. <laughs> uh, that's so funny. I like when uh, the little girl calls her a fascist. Yeah. <laughs> and she's like, I don't control commerce or the railways. What? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah it was uh i mean granted i still found it was really really funny and i thought i thought that 
Ryan Gosling did a great job as Ken. Uh, Michael Sarah was awesome as Alan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Margot Robbie, of course, nailed it as Barbie. Um, but it was definitely a lot more adult than I thought it was going to be. Because I'm thinking, like, yeah. you know, this is a tie-in movie. This is by Mattel. Like, Mattel made this. <laughs> Mattel approved everything that's in the script. You know, Mattel's not going to let it go too far. But it's like, nah, there's like that scene where America Ferreira's character has an entire speech about what women are are allowed and not allowed to do. Yeah. And she's like, you know, you, you got to be strong and stand up for yourself, but you can't be too mean. Otherwise, you're bossy and, and, and a bitch, you know, like, yeah, there, there's this giant monologue about what being a woman is like and how you always have to be in this very specific category and you always have to be in this very specific. You can't be too mean, but you got to be standing up for yourself, blah, blah, blah. And I did think about, like, you know, I wonder how many, like, six-year-old girls, seven-year-old girls are going to be watching this movie. And it's definitely going to resonate with them. It's definitely going to make them think about things. And it's definitely going to change how they grow up and how they perceive, like, gender roles and equality and all of this stuff. And that's heavy. That's incredibly powerful. That's incredibly strong. Um, But, but yeah, I didn't expect that. <laughs> I was not expecting the kind of conversations that were happening in this movie. I was just like, I, I had kind of a naive like perception that like everyone. You remember when um the movie was coming out? Yes. It, it was constantly being paired with Oppenheimer. Yes, Barbenheimer. Barbenheimer, because both movies were coming out at the exact same time, and it sort of became a meme that they were this shared item because of that. Yeah. Like they they shared a space and they shared spotlights and they were like companion movies like oh if you're gonna see barbie you gotta see oppenheimer if you're gonna see oppenheimer you gotta see barbie (laughs) yeah and in many ways i thought barbie was the more thought-provoking movie (laughs) (laughs) yeah i loved i loved oppenheimer like i got the chance to see it last month it's a really great movie it's one of my favorite christopher nolan movies actually but like there's already there's a lot of dread talking about, like, the issues that it does. Meanwhile, with Barbie, like, you expect it to be just a cookie-cutter, like, film when it talks a lot of- it talks a lot about gender issues. And I think Greta Gerwig, who is the director of this movie, she's done a lot of great stuff. Like, she handled that so excellently, and she took, like, something like Barbie and made it into this entire commentary and movie about, like, the patriarchy and feminism and, like, how to just navigate that it really resonated with me like speaking as like a woman mattel approved all of this like mattel mattel approved everything and yet in the movie itself mattel is an actual aspect of the universe (laughs) where yeah they still invented barbie they are the creators of the barbie toy and barbie visits like the president of Mattel, who's Will Ferrell. And Will Ferrell's fucking hilarious in this movie. <laughs> yes. But, like, they even comment on the fact that, like, you know, Mattel's only had, like, two female presidents out of, like, how many male presidents? You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know it's interesting that Mattel is willing to let their brand, let their company actually get dragged like that a little to actually approve of, like, yeah, we were definitely a, a male-dominated company right now. <laughs> yeah it's so interesting it's so fascinating and uh visually the movie is incredible because like when you're actually in the barbie world it truly 
feels like a fucking toy set. It really feels like it's plastic pink and everything is just so clean and so pristine. It's it's so funny. It actually feels like I'm playing with like Barbies. Like um there's the there's the opening sequence where um Barbie's like in the playhouse getting ready for the day and like she's pretending to shower and she's like pretending to like eat just like I would if I was playing with a Barbie doll. <laughs> yeah. Which I did yeah. when I was a kid. She doesn't walk on her feet the way normal people do. She walks <laughs> like a doll because the feet are angled in a certain way. They're angled for the high heel shoes. So <laughs> she walks that way for the good chunk of the first beginning of the movie. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're a Barbie fan, they definitely reference like all the different versions of Barbie that have ever existed. Yes. So like, you know, you've got airplane pilot Barbie, president Barbie, uh, you know, all these different versions of Ken, you know, Asian Ken. Blonde Ken. <laughs> Specific outfits Barbie's had throughout the years. Uh, I'm no expert on Barbie. I don't know every single thing, but I'm sure like anyone who was a fan of Barbie is just like, holy, oh my God. Oh, I can't yeah. believe they referenced sure. that. That's crazy. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I gave a male voice to that. Oh my God, it's Barbie. <laughs> I can't believe they referenced Sugar and Daddy Ken. <laughs> Sugar and Daddy Ken. Oh mm -hmm. boy. I appreciate, too, that, like, they explore all women's issues, including, like, um, some of the issues of, like, women pitting other women. Because certainly, like, when I was growing up, like, I had a lot of Barbies when I was growing up. And then as I got older and started, like, started becoming a teenager, going into high school, I was like, oh, pink is gross. Or, uh, I don't want to, like play with my Barbie doll, they're too feminized. That's not who I am, which is why I resonated with um, the middle school character a bit when she was telling Barbie that monologue, because, like, these are issues that women face, and, like, there's a bit of that, like, these issues that we have to, like, dissect ourselves with, and eventually, like, I came to a point as an adult where I was like, oh, pink is awesome, We're, it's okay to express, like, femininity and stuff like that, and I'm not gonna, like, let others' commentary dictate how I decide to dress myself or how I decided to, to express um, my feminineness, whether I want to do it to a high degree or if I want to, you know, just heal back on that. So yeah. I really appreciated that they talked about that because I think that's a sector of femininity that isn't really publicly discussed a lot. Um, I can definitely attest that like I have definitely been embracing more feminineness in recent years <laughs> just because that's been something I've been working on with myself. So it's, absolutely. like, absolutely okay to, like, be whoever you want to be, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Just do you. Just do you. If you want to wear makeup, go ahead. Wear that eyeliner. Wear foundation. If makeup's not for you, that's fine. Do what you need to do. Yeah, and, you know, even if it, it sounds too preachy to you, you know, like, I genuinely think it's a really funny movie as well. Mm -hmm. And I don't think the, the the message truly, like, overshadows, like the humor and the character dynamics. Like, I love how Ken is written in this story because, like, Ken, he's... At first, there's, like, this bubbling kind of animosity and jealousy about the fact that, like, Barbie gets to be... Which is an interesting role reversal because it's, like, Barbie mm -hmm. gets to be the big showcase. Everyone loves Barbie. Barbie's all this. Barbie's amazing. And Ken's just... He's just there. You know? Ken, he's kind of like an accessory to Barbie, you know? It's Barbie and Ken. It's Barbie and Ken. <laughs> and when Ken goes into the real world, he gets the wrong lesson from the world that like, oh my God, 
this is the patriarchy's awesome. <laughs> I have so much power over here. I am so loved. Everyone listens to me. I am in control. This is awesome. This is how the Barbie world should be. So he yeah. goes back to the Barbie world to like completely oust the Barbies and make it so that the Kens rule the world and the Kens call the shots and all this shit. So it's an interesting message um, on that level because like you see this character kind of change because he feels like he doesn't get there's no equality in the barbie land yeah and then he he takes too much power and he and it becomes unequal in that capacity so he has to grow and become a better person to realize that like you know patriarchy ain't all that but at the same time he does deserve more he is kenneth yeah, yeah like that's also a big selling point of this movie because it talks about like the negatives of the patriarchy but it also talks about men's issues that they face yeah with, like, like emotional vulnerability and like how to balance that space with women like it's really well done in that yeah space. it doesn't just promote the idea that women are better than men it actually also promotes the idea that like you know men need self-care too and men mm -hmm. also have to like work on their issues that like they don't always have to be the macho bread maker like fucking you know, the big supporter, the guy who always has to carry all this weight on their shoulders kind of people, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, it should be a, a symbiotic thing. It should be a equal thing that everyone just, like, helps each other out and everyone gets equal footing and stuff. And, you know, so Ken actually has a big arc in this movie. Ken has, actually has a lot of interesting things going on with his character. He's not just, I'm funny uh, Ryan Gosling. No, he's not just funny Ryan Gosling. It's, <laughs> it, his character is a central aspect of the story and that element is very very interesting and thoughtful yes so yeah barbie's great <laughs> so yeah barbie go watch barbie really great movie i'd say it's my favorite movie of last year it's a lot more thought-provoking than most barbie media i would assume 100 percent. i mean granted i don't watch barbie cartoons and i didn't play all the barbie video games but i'm going to assume this is more interesting than all of yeah. those the Barbie Netflix show, though, is actually pretty funny. <laughs> like, oh, yeah? it's a kid's show, but, like, the I chuckled a few times at the writing. Like, I was very surprised about that. So I'd recommend checking that out on Netflix, yeah. The only thing I know about that show is that Erica Lindbeck is Barbie. Mm-hmm. So, hey, if the writing's awesome, that sounds incredible. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, like I said before, Barbie's been getting lots of love and it definitely deserves it. But there's another movie that came out at the tail end of last year that um, not racking up as much awards as Barbie or Oppenheimer, unfortunately, but still deserves to be talked about. And that is Godzilla Minus One. Oh, boy. I I'm, I'm going to be honest, guys. Like, I, n I rarely talk about Godzilla on C-squared or anything, because I'm pretty sure there's been other Godzilla movies since uh, we started this podcast. But the thing is, I'm not that big of a kaiju person. Not really. Neither am I. I'm kind of a casual fan where, like, I'll occasionally tune in and see the new Godzilla movie, but I'm not like, I gotta see Godzilla. I gotta see it. Because, like, I know I have lots of friends who are insanely diehard about kaiju yes. movies, about Godzilla. In the same way that they're insanely into the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, or they're insanely into Transformers, and... Wow, way to call out Gareth, like, <laughs> one by one. <laughs> There's other people. There's other people. No, I thought of Gareth the first time. 
But anywho, like it's just it's one of those things I could never relate to a lot of my friends because I just I don't have that giant passion for Godzilla. Like I, I know of it. I watched a few of them, but have I seen all of them? No. Do I know the insane lore of Godzilla? No. But I am familiar with the original, and Minus One is definitely trying to echo the original Godzilla from the 50s. Like, this is really trying to be like, yeah, this, this, it's not about Jet Jaguar, it's not about Mechagodzilla, it's not about Mothra and King Ghidorah and all these other extra ancillary monsters. It's not about aliens invading from outer space or some shit. It's not about American Godzilla. It's not about Zilla. <laughs> this is just straight up it feels like the original movie where it is an allegory for the the Hiroshima bomb and it's an allegory for nuclear deterrence and the horrors of what these fucking bombs and shit do and and just the the human cost you know because we spend so much time with the main character uh Shikishima yeah and he has to deal with the fact that, like, he was a kamikaze pilot who was supposed to sacrifice himself for the war, but he he ran away. He abandoned his post, and he chose not to do it. And then they meet Godzilla, and his friends wanted him to shoot him with the Gatling gun, but he was just too afraid, and mm-hmm. it was just too scary of a premise, and he couldn't do it. And then all of those people died. And so he spends a lot of the movie kind of living in regret, living in this state of, like, rejection, as everyone's just like, they know he's a kamikaze pilot who didn't, who didn't, you know, off himself, who didn't commit to the bit. And they, there's no honor in that. The fact that he ran away, there's no honor to be had. And so he's constantly trying to, like, win that honor back and try to redeem himself by helping out in other ways by helping out this woman and her baby and when Godzilla returns and Godzilla starts terrorizing terrorizing everyone again um he feels it's his personal goal his personal his destiny yeah like his destiny to do it you know and yeah Godzilla is treated as a fucking monster it's a horrifying horrifying monster that when it shows up you know bad shit is going to happen (laughs) Mm-hmm. Especially, like, when the Godzilla horn, at least that's what I call it, um, comes around when, um, the Ginza scene happens. I'm like, dang, yeah. yo! That friggin' iconic theme song, the dun 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 Yeah, that, that, <laughs> that horn. You always knew something bad was gonna happen whenever his spikes started lighting up. Because, like, he gets, like, those nuclear spikes where they just turn bright blue, and then he lets out his atomic breath, and Jesus, the fucking explosions oh, from yeah. those from that atomic breath is just like, oh my god, like, how can anyone ever stop this fucking monster? This is insane. Some of my friends were really lucky to see it in IMAX, and they said that, like, the visuals and the sensations and, like, the sound quality in the theater was, like, mind-blowing. Oh, I can imagine. Um, yeah. And I remember watching that entire scene where he's terrorizing the city, and, like, I was crying. Like, I, I, I had tears, and I never thought that would, like, be the case. I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> it's so impactful. 
Yeah, this movie has twists and it has casualties. Mm-hmm. People yes. die in this movie, and uh, yeah, it definitely. I, like, I, it's always crazy when like Godzilla destroys something, and then he leaves. He goes away, yeah. and you just have to watch all of the destruction he's wrought, all of the toppled over buildings, and all the people dead in the streets. And it it's really, really crazy to think that like. Because it is it is realistic to, like, what happened with the Hiroshima bomb of, like, how their entire lives were just upended by this horrifying, devastating event. And now how do you fucking rebuild after this? How do you go back to life having been through something so traumatic and so fucked up, you know? Yeah. I saw it a week after it came out because a lot of my wrestling fans were like, yo, you should see Godzilla Minus One. And I'm like, I've never seen... I don't, I'm not really in tune with Godzilla. They were like, no, really, you have to watch Godzilla minus one. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> fine, I'll go see it. And I saw it and I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. What the fuck? <laughs> and then um, when I went down to Florida for the Rumble, we all watched it again, but um, but in black and white, it was specifically billed as Godzilla minus one minus color. It's meant to like um, mimic what it would feel like to watch the original 1950s film and and that was even a great experience in itself because there was something about like the filter and they didn't even like really like just throw it in a black and white filter and call it a day. They like intentionally went through every frame and changed some of the saturations to make it pop out more. And that was just really well done. So I was glad to see that movie um, with that specific like creative decision. The acting is really, really great, and it takes itself so seriously. Like, it's not just, like, Godzilla versus Kong or Godzilla taking on some alien of the week where, you know, you're rooting for Godzilla and it's just a lot of crazy-ass fucking action scenes where Mm -hmm. Godzilla's getting punched out by a giant monkey. Uh, (laughs) No, no, this, this definitely feels more in line with... You know what it reminds me? It reminds me of how, like, there are so many franchises where the first entry is like so tonally different from its sequels uh Mm -hmm. it's it's one of the reasons i wanted to do humble beginnings for video games yeah because i always find it interesting how a series can just diverge and change like the original godzilla it is a commentary on the hiroshima bomb it is a commentary on what happened after the war and the devastation that japan went through um and then it gets kind of goofy when you have like baby Godzilla and Jet Jaguar and all this. Mm-hmm. Like it gets really, really goofy when they just start leaning into the Sentai super monster kind of aspect about it. And it makes me think yeah. of like First Blood. If you've ever seen that, where First Blood is the first Rambo movie. And it's about. Oh, yes, a- but a long time ago. Yeah. But it's about a soldier coming back from Vietnam and having to deal with his PTSD and having to deal with the fact that like, even though he yeah. fought for this country, he can't get a job. Like things are yeah. still hard and he didn't get a hero's welcome. And then these cops just start harassing him and he goes ape shit and he just hunts all the cops in the forest. And it becomes this like the ending moment where Sylvester Stallone and the Colonel are having this like emotional conversation is like my favorite scene in the movie because it shows you that Stallone can act Cause he's just like weeping like a baby about the horrors he saw and the bullshit he has to go through. And it's like, Jesus, what a fucking great movie. I love first blood. Oh yeah. But then you get to first blood part two and (laughs) it just turns into action schlock. (laughs) Like 
<laughs> and I'm not saying it's not entertaining action schlock. Like, there, there's a lot of great stuff here. Like, that moment where Rambo fires into the ceiling. <laughs> it's, it's amazing, but it's also, like, so tonally different from the first movie. It's not even close. Um, or even another example is Rocky, where, you know, Rocky is a story, a personal story about a guy trying to prove that he's good enough, that he can go the distance, that he's not a bum, that he can actually, if he pushes himself, he can actually do great things, and that he gets this once-in-a-lifetime million-dollar shot, like, you're going to take on Apollo Creed, which, by the way, fucking rest in peace, Carl Weathers. I oh, fucking love Carl Weathers. Mm-hmm. God, I can't believe he died. But, uh, you know, that movie is, he doesn't win at the end. Spoiler. <laughs> but <laughs> he doesn't defeat Apollo, but he goes the distance and he still, he never gets knocked out. And, you know, the fact that it, it's really a love story between him and Adrian and, you know, it, it's a beautiful movie. Contrast that with Rocky Four, where... <laughs> He's taking on a fucking super Russian who's hopped up on steroids and there's crazy montages and he's got a talking robot. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Happy birthday, Polly. Happy birthday, Polly. (laughs) Like, don't get me wrong. I love Rocky IV. Rocky IV is such cheesy 80s schlock. I love the fucking, the, the audacity of it. Like, if you asked me which movie best represents the 80s, I would actually legitimately give you Rocky IV because it has all the 80s culture. It has the U.S.-Soviet Union issues that were a big thing back then. Like, it's, yeah. uh, it's so 80s. Rocky ends the Cold today. War. He ended the Cold War. <laughs> <laughs> if I can change, and you can change. Everybody could change. Everybody could change. <laughs> Drago! Drago! Uh. <laughs> Point is, it's so tonally different from Rocky 1 because mm-hmm. it's just, he turns into a superhero. It's just so comical. Yeah. Um, so I think that's what attracted me to Godzilla Minus 1 and why I actually sought it out because it wasn't about Godzilla taking on another monster. It wasn't about Godzilla just kicking ass and being cool it was about you know what the original godzilla was about it's about the fucking horrors of nuclear bombs and the horrors of you know something just tearing apart your home and having to rebuild and having to like come back from that you know like the fact that like the main character like even though he just runs into this woman and like has the child and like takes care of this child they're all a found family like they aren't biologically a family but they find solace in each other and they become a family in that way yeah i also i also love those those fishermen he was always uh hanging around with like oh they're great characters oh i fucking the the way they all like bounced off each other and the way they were also Mm -hmm. supportive of each other and stuff like ah like it was exactly what he needed in order to get his life back you know it it shows the power of community it shows the power of like you know he may have run away from the war but he's still a human being and he still deserves friends and he still deserves all of these things and there's no shame in what he did essentially you know yeah especially when it's fucking godzilla but uh yeah beautiful movie 
great characters haunting action scenes like the when godzilla's tearing shit up oh boy you feel it it mm -hmm. is a it is impactful stuff when godzilla <laughs> shows up you know something bad's yes. about to go down so yeah godzilla minus one great movie check it out it's been a lot of sonic news lately yeah sonic the hedgehog I, so what do we start with <laughs> um let's go in chronological order so um there was a state of play that happened recently and Probably my favorite announcement from that was um, the announcement that Sonic Generations is coming back. Cool. But it's not only a remastered version of Sonic Generations. We're getting all new Shadow content. So Ugh. we're getting Shadow Generations, Sonic Generations, and now combine them together. You get Sonic X Shadow Generations. <laughs> and yes, there is an X specifically in between Sonic and Shadow. Um, nice call by Sega to title it that way. Um, <laughs> very interesting choice. <laughs> Sega, Sega knows what they're doing. They're trying to clean up their Google searches. Yes. <laughs> I they type in enough. Sonic X Shadow and it's just the video game now. Yeah, you can even do it right now. <laughs> I'm not going to see the video game. I'm not going to see any gay furry porn at all. No. <laughs> no no porn between sonic and shadow exists what are you talking about that doesn't exist nothing on the internet would ever no one would ever put sonic porn on the internet <laughs> yeah the naming convention feels pretty intentional but it's it's yeah you know what it's pretty cool i mean admittedly there is that element of like i hope it's good because this company tends to half-ass their remasters quite a bit. Like Sonic, I remember we did talk about Sonic Colors Ultimate on this podcast once upon a time, and mm. while it is still a playable game, and I'm not saying it's unplayable, but it had issues. You know, it definitely yeah. had weird, weird issues when that game came out. I don't know how much of it's been patched since then, and. Yeah, Sonic Origins also had issues when they were re-releasing all of the old Sonic games. So I hope Sonic Generations Remaster is good, because no one's had access to this on consoles since the Xbox 360, PlayStation 3 days, and it is by far one of the greatest Sonic games that's ever existed. Like, I think it... I, I actually... Hot take! I think if you don't like Sonic Generations, I wonder how big of a Sonic fan you really are. Amen. Because I just don't know how you can not enjoy that game on some level. Like, I'm sorry. If you think Generations Like, sucks, even if you don't like the gameplay mechanic, and if you don't pop for the Easter eggs that are in it, what, what? I mean... Like, at least, I mean, unless you're getting into the series for the first time, you don't get everything, I understand. But if you've been watched, if you've been playing the series for a long time and play Generations, and you don't pop for at least, like, one thing. Ah, what are you doing? <laughs> I like that they're doing what they did with Mario 3D World, where they're re-releasing the game, yes, but they're also adding this extra campaign on top of it, so that there's a little yeah. extra value, and there's something to, like, really motivate you to want to try it. Because, like, basically, Shadow Generations is the Bowser's Fury of Sonic. Yeah, it's a good comparison. I'd say it's 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 an it's an extended extra add-on to a game we've all played before 
but now it's entirely focused around Shadow the Hedgehog, everyone's favorite character. And <laughs> he's going through his own timeline and reliving his past, which turns out to be Shadow the Hedgehog, the game, and Sonic Adventure 2 with the Bio Lizard and stuff. So that's really exciting. That's really like, cool. Like, when was the last time Black Doom was referenced in a game? That's nuts. <laughs> that's crazy. I remember seeing the trail. I'm like, is that Black Doom? Oh my gosh. I'm back, Shadow. You can't get rid of me that easily. I hope that was understandable. We'll see in the recording. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like even just like the visual trippiness, like it feels like Shadow's running through Doctor Strange's world. Like that fucking... Yeah. He's running through this crazy fucking world where all these blocks are popping out and it looked like he's in the mirror world of Doctor Strange. It's so bizarre. Now, obviously, it's new. It's, you know, Generations came out in 2011. This is coming out in 2024. You know, it's not going to have the same kind of level design. It's not going to have the same kind of feel. Well, maybe, maybe. I don't know. Like, I will be... The ultimate pleasant surprise would be if we pick up Shadow Generations and it feels just like Sonic Generations. Like, it just feels exactly the same. Yeah. In, in terms of control, in terms of, like, level design, in terms of, like, the whole total package. Like, if it just genuinely feels like they made an extra Generations campaign and it actually feels like Generations, then it's easily going to be one of my favorite games of the year. No contest. Uh -huh. <laughs> I have a little bit more confidence because um, Sonic Team is making this in-house, unlike Colors Ultimate, where it was made by, like, a different company, or at least the remastered stuff was done by a different company. Sonic Team after Generations has kind of been in a polarizing spot because you had Last World, you had Rise of Lyric, you had Forces, and um, there are people who enjoy those games. But there are also a very, there's a very vocal portion of the fan base that didn't exactly write like the writing in Last World, or they don't like the direction Rise of Lyric went, or they didn't like the simplicity of forces and for a while sonic team kind of just backed themselves into a wall where it felt like if they played too safe it was too safe and no one would like it or if they went too experimental then it wasn't very polished out yeah and the reason why frontiers was so successful as it was critically was they had finally achieved this balance of like, let's experiment with Sonic, let's put him in the open world, but let's also remind people why they love Sonic. Why Sonic resonates with a lot of gamers. And I think what Sonic Team is trying to do with this generation's remaster is continuing to ride, ride the momentum of reminding people what makes Sonic, Sonic, and what other game is there to represent that than generations. Absolutely. Like, keep the goodwill of your fans going. Why don't we just remaster a title that is already popular enough in our fan base? Yeah, that everyone likes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think one of the reasons we're doing Shadow Generations is also because we're trying to tie in to the upcoming cinematic movie, uh, Sonic the Hedgehog 3. Yes, 100%. It's coming out in the fall. Um... I want to guess October, November, because typically that's when um, Sonic games release, I've noticed, um, which yeah. would give fans enough time to experience Shadow's story before um, the third movie comes out in December. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, if you've been living under a rock, if you didn't stay after the credits of Sonic 2, <laughs> 
Well, I got good news for you. Shadow's going to be in, in Sonic 3. Woo! And we don't know who's voicing him yet. But I think it would be an inspired choice if it was Robert Pattinson. That would be an inspired choice, but there are rumors that Hayden Christensen is voicing Shadow. Which would be amazing. I actually kind of like that. <laughs> I actually think that's a pretty good voice, too, if that's actually true. Oh, my God, that'd be amazing. It's going to execute Order 66 on the chow. <laughs> which you can kind of already do in Shadow the Hedgehog, by the way. Absolutely. <laughs> It's so bad. There's this level of cryptic castle. You can, uh, in Shadow the Hedgehog, there's a level where there's chow everywhere and everyone you abuse gives you dark side power. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow, wow. Hit them with your sword, you know. So you can hit them and then you build up your power and then when it's at your max, you can unleash the power and then all the chow just like fall to the floor. <laughs> <It's all bad>. <laughs> <laughs> I might, I may or may not have done this. Oh my god. Caro abuses Chow. You heard it here first. You abuse Chow too. Don't don't get started with me. I know. It's the most popular <laughs> gif of Chow abuse that's on the internet. Yeah, that was me. That was my footage. Go watch mm -mm. my Sonic Adventure 2 let, Let's Play. I'm the Eggman who beat up all those Chow. That was my footage. Shake my <laughs> head, man. <laughs> but anywho, um, but yeah, we got confirmation that Jim Carrey is definitely coming back as Dr. Eggman, so his character's not gone. He's definitely returning. It's great because he said, like, um, when he was taking a break from acting or retiring, that, like, it would take one particular script that's amazing for me to come back, and that movie is Sonic 3, apparently. So it makes me excited for the movie because, like, you have to wonder what, ex what exactly is in that script for him to come back. Yeah. Could you imagine if Sonic 3's story is just so beautiful and so well-written and just so good that, like, it eclipses the first two movies, and like Barbie, it somehow is contender for Oscars? Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> what if Sonic 3 turns out to be the mega, crazy, amazing video game adaptation that blows all video game adaptations out of the water? Could you imagine? Could you imagine? In an ideal world, yes. <laughs> but I also noticed that they cast uh, Kristen Ritter in the movie. And you'll know her as Jessica Jones from the Marvel. You'll know her as um, Jesse's girlfriend in season two of Breaking Bad, Jane. Yeah. She was also the bee in Apartment 23, if you know what that is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But uh, people are thinking maybe she's Rouge the Bat. Yeah. That's been fan canon online. If Kristen Ritter is playing Rouge the Bat in this movie, that's actually another instance of like, oh my god, the casting. I love that casting. I want Kristen Ritter as Rouge the Bat. That sounds amazing. <laughs> <laughs> it's just wild because it's like, I saw like the little teaser they did. The little teaser of like, they showed the logo and they had little orchestral stinger in the background, the music. And... The logo looks like Sonic Adventure 2 Battle. Yeah, because it is Sonic Adventure 2 Battle. And the orchestral theme that played while the logo showed up was fucking Live and Learn. <laughs> Which has been recognized by um, Crush40 online. So they know. 
they oh absolutely my God. know every single Sonic fan that I've talked to or know speak highly of Sonic Adventure 2. And even people that I know don't play Sonic games anymore always are like, yeah, remember when we played Sonic Adventure 2 as kids? Man, that game was the shit. Yeah. I love Shadow, man. Like my cousin isn't really much of a gamer anymore, but he still talks highly about Shadow loves Shadow the Hedgehog. He's really excited that Shadow's in the third movie, so he wants to take his um kids to it now because he's such a big Shadow fan. Yeah. Absolutely. Like, Shadow's popularity is, like, something out of this world. He's not just a Sonic antagonist. Like, people know who Shadow is. People actually acknowledge that Shadow... Oh, that's Shadow the Hedgehog! Like, <laughs> they know who he is! Mm -hmm. And I think City Escape is probably the most iconic Sonic level ever. Like you don't yes, have to, you don't have I to agree. think it's the greatest level ever. Like I think rooftop runs more fun to play, but city escape is just you. The minute you start playing it and you're snowboarding down that road and rolling around at the speed of sound, got places to go, gotta follow my rainbow. I mean, that's one of the greatest moments in video game history, as far as I'm concerned. Like not just Sonic. I've never played a game that did that. I've never played a game that yeah. started so fucking strong. Like, it was incredible when I was a kid, man. Yeah. What's also funny is that they've announced casting for other celebrities, and they've casted, um, I think her name is Alayla Brown. I'm sorry if I mispronounced her name. But um, she's a child, so people have already assumed that she's casted as Maria. And it's so funny online when people are like, yeah, we're going to see Maria get killed again. Let's fucking go. <laughs> <laughs> like it's so morbid but in the context of the sonic fan base it's pretty funny <laughs> god could you imagine going into the theater and like you don't have that big of a connection to sonic you don't know the story you're just here to take your kid you're just here to take your kid to a cartoon movie to see the story yeah and then a little girl gets shot and then everyone in the crowd goes yeah 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 they shot her yeah god <laughs> I would It's Shadow of the die. Hedgehog's canon event, let's go! <laughs> I would die if I go to the movie theater and everyone applauds. Applauds when the little girl gets shot by a gun. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited for Sonic 3. I'm excited for Shadow Generations. Sonic X Shadow Generations. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, I guess we'll talk about it when those things come out. Absolutely. I'm seeing it as soon as I can. Night one. Oh, yeah. It's night one. Shadow fever, baby! <laughs> it's question time! It's question time! And now, ladies and gentlemen, we're at the end of the podcast where, once again... Uh, my lovely patrons sent in questions, and we're going to answer them for you guys here today. So you ready, Caro? I am absolutely ready. Bring on the gauntlet. <laughs> Alrighty. So first up is Rough Puff. Clement, I remember when I was younger watching you play Super Meat Boy drunk, and was wondering if you and Norm would ever be down with making another video. Not drunk, of course, because you guys were hilarious. Uh, well, Norm definitely has his own life, unfortunately. Like, you'll notice he was only really in Super Meat Boy and the multiplayer of my Sonic and the Secret Rings playthrough. Um, you know, he's got his own thing going on. He's, he's a dedicated job. He's got a family. Um, 
and I haven't really been in contact with him for a, a, quite a while, actually. Um, so, you know, I'll never say never, because who knows what could happen in the next 20 years or so. But, uh, you know, you never know. <laughs> I get it. I get it. Brian Holland asks, have you ever heard of Roe Mithril and Mage Knight 404 and Pink Kitty Rose and Chugga Conroy? Uh, yes, I've heard about a lot of these YouTubers. I remember Pink Kitty Rose, I believe, was the one who did all of those Mega Man speedruns. I... Yes, I do remember Pink Kitty Rose from that. Yeah, I, I remember watching a lot of those because, God, she was good. <laughs> She's way better at the game than I am, if you can believe that. Um, Romithril, it rings a bell. Unfortunately, I'm, I'm yeah, not Yeah, that sounds sure. familiar to me. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I've heard of them somewhere. Unfortunately, I don't know who Mage Knight 404 is, and it's no, pretty hard. And it's pretty hard not to know who Chugga Conroy is because he was such a big, huge Let's player. Um, mm -hmm. He actually credited me when he did his Sticker Star video. He said that uh, my Sonic 06 review was a bit of an influence. So when he did Sticker Star, I he credited me in the video. So that's interesting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. And I, I, I don't want to go into a big thing about this because I, I think it's kind of passe to talk about other YouTubers, but I am aware yeah. of like the drama that's been going on lately with him. And I know the drama about Gerard the Completionist and there's been a lot of stuff with YouTubers lately. And I don't, I don't have any comments towards any of that. I hope that everyone who was wronged uh, feels better. I hope that, I just hope things get better all around for everyone on YouTube and that's really all I can say, unfortunately. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I send my love and support to anyone who has felt victimized, has felt wrong about this, and just hope that the YouTube landscape can be better. Because um, a lot of the times on here, um, we tend to put content creators and other people online on a pedestal. And, yeah. um, you know, there's that issue of, like, finding the balance between enjoying content and taking accountability and i just hope that like all of you remember you know how to navigate these issues and just you know yeah since so always sending out support to the people who have been wronged yeah it is what it is I th i've said it before is. on twitter that like you shouldn't idolize any youtuber even me you know like mm -hmm. i'm gonna tell you in this video right now that like i try my best to be a great person you know, I don't think I have any scandals to worry about other than, like, maybe some problematic stuff I said in 2009, which, mm -hmm. even still, don't take my word for it. Don't get too mm -hmm. parasocial with me. Don't put me on a pedestal. Mm -hmm. You never know who I really actually am. So. Mm -mm. But uh, thank you for the question. Thank you. Robert Boy Genius, since you asked racy and hard questions... I guess asked for racy and hard questions. Here is the dangerous question I could think to ask. What is your opinion on Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau? A man for all I know is that he is very good at falling downstairs. Oh boy. <laughs> well, I don't want to get into anything too political. I will just say that he definitely could honor the things he said he was going to do more. He doesn't. That's one thing I don't like about him. Ah, uh, but you know. <laughs> I mean, he gave a speech at my college once. Um, so that was a thing. 
And I normally don't hold politicians up on a pedestal anyway. Yeah, um, no, so especially I will just politicians. Leave it at, I, yeah, and I would just leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> he is a guy. I am not diehard about him, but, you know. <laughs> Thank you for the question. Thank you. Carrie Rene Rose asks, Hey, Clement and Caro, my usual question. Hopefully you both are doing well. If you are, great. I am. I am, too. If not, I hope things get better for you, too. As for my question, what was one RPG, either just one game or its respective series, you tried getting into but couldn't? As always, love you guys and stay safe. Always staying a fan of C Squared. Thank you. The only thing I can really think of is uh, Battle Network, Mega Man Battle Network. Yeah. And that one's hard for me because it's like, I love Mega Man. I love the classic games. I love X. I love Zero. I love ZX. Legends, especially. I love Legends. I, I just can't reconcile with the gameplay of Battle Network. I have tried on multiple occasions. The game was re-released on Wii U. I tried again, couldn't do it. It was re-released recently with its collections. I tried, and I, I'm sorry. I just I don't think I'll ever enjoy Battle Network's gameplay. Um, I, I tried. It's just not for me. It's just not my mm. kind of game. Oh, that's kind of hard for me. <sighs> I would say Battle Network 2, but I want to pick a different answer. Like, Would you say that Octopath Traveler was one you couldn't get into? Yes. Yes. I think aesthetically it's amazing. Um, I've played a bit of the second game, and it is such an improvement over the first one. Yeah. Um, but the first game had a lot of pacing issues. Um, it didn't interweave the stories as much as I thought it would. And I think, like, the battles are too hard at times. Yeah. And it feels really, really meaty. So I would say that game. Thank you for the question. Thank you. Devin Hoffarth, what are your feelings on Sonic X Shadow? Also, what do you think of the game that got announced? Ha ha cha cha cha. <laughs> Thank you for your question. Well, we just went over the game, but what do you think of Sonic Cross Shadow? Ah, yeah. Sonic Cross Shadow. Um, well, when I was younger, um, I definitely, like, spent time exploring different ships. Um, <laughs> I think it's just, I think it's just dandy. <laughs> it's, it's just neat. <laughs> I think it's I don't neat. participate in shipping, I don't participate in shipping a Sonic characters anymore. Because <laughs> I think at my age, that would be a bit creepy. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, not for me either. <laughs> but, hey, you do you, Sonic fans. You do you. Thank you for the question. Yeah, thank you. Gelly Elfson asks, how do you feel about soda slash pop slash whatever you call it up in Canada? Do you have any favorite flavors? I think I've gone on record saying a million times that the greatest soft drink that's ever existed is vanilla Coke. Not regular Coke. I don't mean regular. There is an actual brand called Vanilla Coke. Yeah. And it's got this smooth, creamy aftertaste. So, like, you taste like regular Coke, but then you feel, like, the, the creamy aftertaste afterwards, and it's like, oh, oh. <laughs> And I could drink that, you know, I'd get super fat, but I could drink that for every meal. <laughs> I love... <laughs> Vanilla Coke, so much. Yeah. 
So it's funny because I've lived in different areas where um, there's a different term used to describe soda. So back down in Georgia, people just call all kinds of soda Coke because Coca-Cola is in Atlanta. It's bird there. Interesting. So whenever people would be like, oh, you want any Coke? Chances are they're talking about soda in general. So, like, oh, you want Coke? Which, which, what kind? So it's just a um, local linguistic quirk about um, Georgia. But then when I moved to Chicago for college, the term used there was pop. So people would be like, well, you want pop? I'm like, what? <laughs> what do you mean pop? So I had to live with that for a few years. And now, and now living in the Philly area, people say soda. I prefer soda. I, you, I will use the term soda. Interesting. Because like going my whole life, I never heard anyone call it soda. I knew it was soda because I'd see that in commercials and TV shows. And like, I knew that it was technically soda but like everyone i knew my family my friends everyone in my hometown said pop yeah. so like you want a pop yeah i'll have a pop let's have a pepsi cool you know i've only ever heard pop mm -hmm. but what's your favorite flavor what's your favorite brand um so i'm a big fan of inca cola it is a peruvian soda mm. that kind of has like a citrus um lemony taste to it i'll have to have you try it sometime but i love getting that soda whenever i go to a peruvian restaurant or if i'm in like an area that sells it i love it so much i mean if it's your favorite i definitely have to try it then because that sounds mm -hmm. intriguing it sounds very yes. very intriguing absolutely <laughs> bowen tara asks what is one series be that tv or video games that you feel need to end just because it's lost the plot Assassin's Creed. Damn. <laughs> I do agree, though. I do agree. Well, the thing is, I gave up on Assassin's Creed a long time ago because I was playing it yearly. I was playing it as each game released. I played one. I played two. I played Brotherhood. I played Revelations. And then I finally played three. Um, and what made me give up was the ending of three because I just felt like, well, they just changed the story in such a significant way where do you even go from here? And I've always felt like Assassin's Creed has been writing the story as it goes along. Like, they never had an idea of where the story was going. They just, like, they just threw something at the wall to see what stuck. Like, people don't know this. Kristen Bell, the actress from The Good Place and whatnot, she was a character in Assassin's Creed. She was, like, in the first game and the second game, and she was in the series for quite a bit. But then Kristen Bell didn't want to do the games anymore. She she was done. Yeah. So they just kind of wrote her character out. They just sort of like invented her as a traitor, which made no sense given how she behaved in the previous games. It it was kind of like a Cody Roman situation. You're like, what? No, she wasn't. Yeah. Fuck off. <laughs> and so she just became a traitor and then was just written out of the plot. And it was just like, okay. <laughs> For TV shows. um. I would say the Walking Dead franchise. Oh, boy. I know the main Walking Dead show is over, but I know there are a couple spinoffs out there that are just still going. I mean, if there's anything I'd want to end, it's long-standing cartoons that have, like, long outstayed their welcome. Like, The Simpsons has been around since the early 90s. Family Guy's been around since the late 90s. South Park's been around since the late 90s. And... I think some might argue South Park's still funny, so maybe not South Park, but 
certainly the Simpsons, certainly Family Guy. Like, I have you heard Marge's voice in the newest season of The Simpsons or just any of the newer seasons of The Simpsons? Like, mm-hmm. that poor actress. Like, I know. What? Do, why are we still doing this? Like, I'm <laughs> sure it must still get ratings. People are still watching it, but I just. The Simpsons needs to end. It, it was a great thing, and we can just kind of end it now. Because how many Christmases can 10-year-old Bart Simpson enjoy without growing a single year in age, you know? (laughs) Yeah. He's going to be eternally 10 for the rest of his life. Um, Family Guy, I I stopped watching around season 6 or 5. Like, again, I don't watch the newer episodes. I just feel like its humor is a little out there. Like, I actually... It's good timing. I saw a Family Guy episode yesterday. I made supper... And then I was waiting for something to come on and I just started watching Family Guy and I didn't really laugh at all. Yeah. (laughs) I just didn't find anything funny about it. I just didn't. I was just looking at it going like, okay, those were attempts at jokes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, just cartoon. Because the thing is, when it comes to other shows that I watch, usually those are finished or they're good, you know? Like, if it's a show I'm watching, then I just genuinely want to keep following it. Otherwise, I probably just don't care, and I don't, I just don't keep watching. Mm-hmm. Plus, I can't say Riverdale needs to end, because Riverdale's done. Riverdale's already over, yeah. Dexter's done. Dexter, Dexter lost the plot a long time ago. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. When I think of video game examples, Assassin's Creed is definitely top because I just I can't believe that series comes out yearly and has been just trucking and whatever, like the whole thing they set up with the Templars and the Assassins, it's never going to be resolved. You know this, audience. You know it's never going to be resolved because they're just going to keep coming up with more fucking Assassins from more time periods and we're never, ever going to resolve this threat that's going to destroy the world because why would we we got more money to make (laughs) yeah assassin's creed is is definitely an answer i think that that series fucking what happened there (laughs) but thank you for the question thank you and finally styler asks what's your guys top five favorite video games oh sonic the hedgehog 2 (laughs) Uh, Final Fantasy VII, Star Fox 64, yeah, I put it that high, I love that game, (laughs) Uh, Puzzle League, and uh, Mega Man X. Mega Man X. Mega Man X would definitely be up there. That's why I beat it at MAGFest, because I love that game so much. It's in my top five. You indeed beat it at MAGFest. Yeah. (laughs) What about you, Caro? With my top five video games, I'm going to say Sonic the Hedgehog 3 and Knuckles. Which, by the way, it's 30. Well, at least the first half of that game is 30, so happy birthday. Um, Final Fantasy X. Persona 4. Yeah. Undertale. Ooh, yeah. I'm going to say Life is Strange. Let's go with that. Damn. Cool. Top five. Nice. I mean, it's it can float, it can float around in my top ten, but those are just the five that I thought of. Oh, for sure. For sure. But yeah, folks, if you've never played any of those 10 games, then uh, you should know that we love them. They're they're our favorite games ever of all time, and you should check them out. (laughs) Yes. But yeah, thank you to my patrons for all the questions. It's always fun answering those. 
And wow, Carol, we got a lot of material out of today when I thought we had nothing interesting to say. <laughs> well, we, we've been gone for a couple months, so yeah, there's all I this material. I felt bad because like I was like, I knew we were going to talk about MAGFest, and I knew we were going to talk about the Cody Rhodes situation, but I was like, what else could we talk about? What else? And I was like, oh, yeah, we got Godzilla. Yeah, we got Barbie. Oh, we got Sonic Shadow. You know, we actually had a lot to say today. This is still a two-hour podcast. Go figure. Woohoo. And also, um, we mentioned it previously in this episode at the beginning, but um, Clement and I will be at the Sonic Symphony in Toronto. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Saturday, February 17th, we'll be at the Sonic Symphony with um, FTCR Stefan, Games Enlisted, and we're excited to go see it. I've been holding off on seeing it for months. I had the chance to go to Chicago, and it was in my hometown like um, when it came around, but I have not seen it. I have not seen any spoilers. Going into this blind, <laughs> I'm excited. So if you see us at the symphony, feel free to say hello. We don't bite. Yeah, I'm fine taking pictures. I'm fine saying hi. I'm, I'm a normal guy. Unless you say Sonic 06 is a good game, because then I turn into a, a weird <laughs> Jekyll and Hyde monster. I just go, what the oh fuck God. did you just say? No, you didn't. <laughs> You're wrong. You're wrong. <laughs> How dare you? But uh, yeah, good stuff. Good stuff. As always, uh, I'm working on the insane lore of Mortal Kombat. With my new schedule, I'm actually really happy with how my productivity has been, because like, yeah. Now that I have alarms and goals and things that I want to shoot for and free time that I'm leaving open for myself, you know, like I played Oxen Free 2 last night and I didn't feel bad about it. I didn't feel like I should be working on Mortal Kombat. I was like, no, I'm just going to enjoy Oxen Free 2 and do whatever tomorrow. That's good for you, you know. So, yeah. Um, until next time, folks, I am the Great Clement. And I am Kara. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch y'all soon. Bye-bye. We want Cody. Hashtag we want Cody. By the way, Cody Rhodes is a Sonic fan, so that's why you should trend it. <laughs> he told me once that Sonic Adventure 1 is his favorite Sonic game, or that oh. he prefers that over 2. So oh hashtag we want Cody. <laughs> oh my god. Hashtag we want Cody. Hashtag we want Cody.